Suppose what your faith has said was essentially correct. Suppose there is a universal mind controlling everything, a God willing the behavior of every subatomic particle. Now, every particle has an antiparticle. Its mirror image is negative side. Maybe this universal mind resides in the mirror image instead of in our universe as we wanted to believe. Maybe he's anti-God, bringing darkness instead of light. Why weren't we told the truth? <laughs> Without the technology to confirm, it would have been another legend. But he was our prisoner, not yours. We had a responsibility to warn the rest of the world. Only the corrupt are listened to now. They tell us what we want to hear. We believe it to be divine light. <laughs> Just got colder in here. And, uh, suddenly it's as if, as if something moved through the room. Welcome to The Last Theater on the Left. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. And tonight we are discussing the second part of John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. We are talking about one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I think it's one of my favorite movies. Hmm. It's one that I saw it a lot. We are talking about John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Yeah, this was I either my third or fourth time of all time watching really? it. So yeah. it's probably your 23rd or 24th. Maybe. There was a long time where I didn't watch it, but this is one of those that my dad bought the VHS from a video store. I remember he had it used because it was one of those clear like clamshell things with the oh, yeah with the plastic around yeah, the actual with the plastic around yeah. it where they had to cut the side of the box in order to stick it in there yeah nice he, i think he still has that actually wow. and so i he transferred a lot of his stuff to cd yeah. or dvd at a certain point and got rid of a lot of his stuff but i think that's one that i wanted him to keep held so, on to that so i watched it on vhs over and over again and that's one of those i think it's a great vhs 80s horror movie Nice, it's, yeah, and I like that. That that could that makes sense as a genre in my head. Yeah, so. it totally does to me. It's <laughs> like I can see specific things that in my VHS watching days, like '80s movies, some of the late '70s movies, like stuff that's kind of bloody. Although this movie isn't terribly bloody, although there is a little here and there. It's more ew yeah. and like you know surgical bloody, as I like to call it. There's a lot of lesions and. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. pus and you know those kind of things whenever it does occur it's a fair amount of pus yeah. it, i mean it's not bathing in it right. it's, it's more like <laughs> if you hate insects you're really gonna hate this movie yeah, yeah. And, and neither of us are insect fans i mean who really is unless you're like some sort of hardcore <laughs> right was it botanist or whatever uh, or? that's plants I think. oh yeah that's yeah. right okay the other thing insect anyway. of something i don't yeah. know yeah <laughs> we're Insecticidal. not scientists yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Prince of Darkness was released in 1987, in October of 1987, I do believe, if, yeah. if IMDb can be trusted. Yeah, and, and by the way, this seems to me just kind of thinking back in retrospect, mm -hmm. and I wasn't an active horror movie watcher at this point in my life. I yeah. was like eight or nine years old, and I didn't have cool parents. We've established this. <laughs> but it seems like after this movie and starting with it, yeah. it there's a whole wave of films that come out that deal in the same kind of... And it, obviously this is kind of a thing that has happened a lot throughout the history of horror films. But mm -hmm. a massive religious plot line. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think of The Seventh Sign. I think of Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think even Serpent and the Rainbow, but that might have been more of a... Uh, it was like, like a voodoo, voodoo kind of, stuff. Yeah. But it's still religious-based. But there, you're right, because there was a lot of... like I think... One of the things that I find scary in movies is mo are movies that deal with Catholicism specifically, and I'm not a Catholic, but like I guess it's just like the the. It's a, I mean, they're spooky on the front yeah, end. Yeah, it's a spooky religion, honestly, yeah. because of all the ritual and all the grandeur of it, and it's just very oppressive feeling, and that's what this movie is kind of. It's it's a very oppressive kind of movie. 
And I think that kind of, because I also think around the, sort of around the same time, the third Exorcist came out, which is great movie yeah like 1990 i remember yeah, yeah so i do remember years that after yeah and i feel like maybe that wouldn't have happened if some of these movies yeah. hadn't really hit off because who was going to make another exorcist after right. number two yeah so <laughs> so what we're going to do we're going to start maybe a little bit of a new sort of format for the show with this episode the first part of this is just going to be a straight up review there are going to be no spoilers for the movie so if you've never seen prince of darkness you can safely listen to this first part of the movie, listen to what we think about it, whether you should take the time to go and watch it, and then at a certain point we're going to hit the spoiler alert, right. and then we're going to talk about specific plot points and what we did and didn't like about the movie specifically going forward. But So you haven't seen this movie in over 10 years. Yeah. What did you think on this viewing? Did yeah. you like it? Yeah, I mean, my favorite viewing of it so far. I mean, it, it's, it's always hard to beat that first one, Yeah, but I think... Uh, with a more adult brain on myself, yeah. I, I and, you know, knowing kind of what to look for and knowing kind of what I'm getting into sure. and where I'm kind of at, let's just say with my beliefs or lack mm-hmm. of them, I was interested to see how much I'd buy into this movie now. Right. I saw it 18 years ago the last time I yeah. saw it. So it's, it's you, you grow and evolve or devolve, I mean, depending on who you are, but... Yeah, I, I, this is my favorite viewing so far. And awesome. even between now and then, as much as I probably said this before, Hall- Halloween, the original Halloween is in my top 10 films of all time. Yeah, I've become an even greater appreciator and fan of Donald Pleasant's anything oh, yeah. since then. Saw him recently in an old Twilight Zone episode and just captivated me just like the first day I saw him. Yeah. So I've just become a big Pleasance guy, and I'm trying to seek out his other stuff. So I was really excited to see it, yeah. uh, once again, for that reason, hoping that he would deliver the goods again. Of course he does. He always does. Yeah. He's yeah. he's one of those actors, and yeah, I was looking up his IMDb profile again before this, and he has so many credits. So yeah, there's a vast array of things to go back and watch, and I need to watch more, too. I have seen, of course, the stuff he did with Carpenter... And he was in a movie called Puma Man uh, that oh. Mystery Science Theater did. Yeah. And he is very much the best thing about that terrible movie. Uh, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's super fun to watch. So, But like, I don't really know much about his work prior to Halloween. Yeah. So yeah, I want to watch it was. You seem like he was a theater guy. I, yeah. was, I mean, you would have... You'd almost have to be to be that good. Yeah. And so, so he's, he's the type of actor that makes you feel exactly what he wants you to feel. Like when he's scared you're scared when he's sad you're sad so and that's a big thing with this movie and with halloween i think that his performance he's terrified in both of these movies there's something going on he's terrified of it and even when there's not as much plot to set up the thing whatever it is he's scared of seeing him terrified makes you uneasy and on edge because he's Mm -hmm. such a great actor yeah i never quite can figure out in this particular movie, as far as Donald Pleasant's performance to what you said here mm-hmm. just now, I, I never can quite tell where he's coming from. Yeah. And I know that that's, that was the intention. Yeah. He, it's, his character's a lot more upfront in Halloween. Yeah. It, even though he's, he kind of like is the carry a big stick guy almost right. a little bit as Dr. Loomis, but yeah. Oh, yeah. also scared. But I think it's the, the adrenaline of the fear that is driving him. Yeah. And this one he seems a lot more vulnerable and helpless. Yeah. Did you feel that his priest character conveyed that with you this time around? Yeah, absolutely. Because he... So the setup to this movie, if you've never seen it before, is something... At the beginning of the movie, we see weird things happening. Stuff is happening in the world that can't really be explained, but it's really minor. It's like ants on the back of a television set at one point and there's the the sun and the moon is at this convergence it looks like it's coming together yeah. um and a priest has died and that's like the opening shot of the movie is of this priest it's either his like final breaths or he's already passed passed on yeah. and donald pleasance's character is the priest that the archdiocese or whatever the the major guys yeah. in the, the church bring him in to kind of not really take over, but deal with this situation because something's going on and something's been hidden in this church for over 2000 years since the beginning of the church, because this thing dates back to apparently millions of years prior that the church has been hiding and Donald Pleasance, the priest character, he feels kind of helpless because 
I don't know if it was entirely clear. I don't think he knew about it before going down there. I think sure. it was just the Brotherhood of Sleep, as they call them. Yeah. And so when he sees that there's this thing under this church that is apparently waking up and doing things, he feels helpless throughout this movie. And of course he conveys that and it kind of makes him angry at times. And what he ends up doing is getting this physicist, uh, Victor Wong, who was in other John Carpenter movies as well. He's in yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. One of my favorites, The Golden Child. Yeah, Golden Child. <laughs> he ended up being in like all the Three Ninjas movies, I think, oh. later on in his career. He's the odd-looking Asian guy that was in every movie of our yeah. childhood. If yeah. you needed, and, and there's, you know, because he really sticks out. Right. Like, as, as a, and he wasn't even a stereotypical Asian actor, which yeah. is neat about him. Yeah. He became that guy. But he's so different looking. Yeah, like he's one of the most interesting looking people to be on screen. Yeah, I, yeah. I love that. I love that. And he's he's got good timing. Yeah, and he's he's a good actor. So yeah. why not? And so the priest gets this physicist, uh, Professor Birak, I think is what his name is in the movie. Sounds about right. And basically, he's saying, "I need you to give legitimacy to this thing because we can't hide this anymore. People are going to find out about it." And we want you to basically prove our religion, is what he's saying. So that's what a big part of this movie is, is kind of science as a sort of explanation for parts of the Catholic religion. And I just find that kind of thing really yeah. fascinating, you know. It's like the X-Files, except like in modern political science slash yeah. religion debate. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, and the, the cool it's thing, very on of the moment. And, it is, and, yeah. yeah. The cool thing is, as it goes along, it doesn't really... It never gets into a debate. No. Religion is real. Science is real. It, it doesn't talk about that necessarily. Yeah. But it's giving this kind of basis in reality whatever is happening. And I don't want to spoil what's happening. But yeah, there's Not this yet. dark force that's apparently waking up. And it's Victor Wong and his students and some other uh, scientific type people. Yeah. They have to go in and they have 48 hours to basically figure out what this is and what it's doing and that's kind of what the movie is yeah have you ever signed up for a class that had that little amount of people in it that didn't get canceled i didn't know okay no. <laughs> i've had some small back. classes like 15 people i would 10 right, 10 to 15 that was about like that was but not six but not six no <laughs> okay yeah I'm not saying the movie is unbelievable from the get-go. I just <laughs> thought that was that was interesting. But it's know? a very specific course because the Victor Wong character, he is the kind of there's a lot of exposition at the beginning of this movie yeah. and and a lot of credits. Yeah, well, a lot of credits. It, it, well, it seems like there's a lot of credits. It's there, not there a lot of credits. It's just stretched out it, over how many minutes? It's over 10 minutes. The credits take over 10 minutes. <laughs> but it's interesting like how they do that because there's this the music that plays almost constantly throughout the entire movie. That's Carpenter one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah, John Carpenter. I, he, I watched the commentary on it as well, and he's he was talking about there's a few different theories for how you do music or movies, and one is like Mickey Mousing is the term he used. I'm not. I think because there was another one term for it, but it's basically where it's in your face. It's the Star Wars. It's the the, the march in Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. This is what this is, and we're it's the. The example he gave was the score of Godzilla that's, like, basically punctuating each step of Godzilla. Like, it's... What you see on the screen is very much in your face. But Carpenter's style, mostly, and especially in this movie, is just... It's an underscore. Yeah. It sets the tone, and you don't really, like... can you Could you hum the melody to the song it's like um num 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 yeah num, exactly num, num. Yeah, so there's there is a melody but it's it's you don't really register it because it's more about the yeah. tone and that's definitely uh, just as a side here carpenter's score if i haven't said this already yeah. it should be said a lot of the newer guys that grew up watching his stuff yeah. are now doing these movies mm -hmm. and you could point to examples like it follows as far as feature films go right where it's like that retro sound but modern at the same time and i don't it's a real unique talent to pull yeah. off something like that especially nowadays and it not come off campy or cheesy right. stranger things the, the guys from yeah. uh survive from austin yeah. great band they, they have albums on their own too obvious that's fan a of Carpenter, clear, yeah, clear linear like move yeah. from Carpenter. So it's it's one of those cases where it can be tasteful and it can almost get enough to deserve a credit, just like any actor uh, yeah, in the movie, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. But in a, in a good way, and usually you're not supposed to do that. 
but it seems like some of these genre pieces it it kind of gets the asterisk it gets a right. pass yeah whereas in some some like drama or thriller it would be annoying as hell <laughs> right you know? yeah but so in that opening credit sequence that music is going through and it almost feels like a montage you know yeah. when you see movies they have the pre-credit sequence or the during credit sequence which gives you a lot of exposition really quickly to get you set up for the actual movie this feels like it goes on even past the credits because the music is constant and you're just getting bits here and there. You're seeing Donald Pleasance in the church. You're seeing the students in class. There's a lot of times where you don't even hear any dialogue. It's just that that, that throbbing music playing yeah. and it's pushing you along. And the credits, like we're conditioned to think like the credits are something you don't have to pay too much attention to. We're going to get it anyway. But there's so much information in there that's just mostly visual and tonal. Yeah. And it, the fact that the credits go more than 10 minutes into the movie kind of thrust you forward, like, so that by the time they're over, you're already, like, smack in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, like, the credits read like flipping the page in a book. Yeah. Because they're not flashy credits. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's white type on black. Yeah. And it's not meant to distract you. It's just meant to bridge the gap between what scene he wants to show you next yeah. so it's a it's a cool way to do it it's simple yet super effective yeah and it gives you this really ominous tone as well because it's all very it's all very serious and there's very serious stuff going on but they give little hints about what's to come in the movie and, and setting you up for it. i just think it's it's super super well done i really really enjoyed it yeah but Carpenter actually worked with someone on this score, uh, Alan Howarth, I believe his name is. Okay. And he'd been working with them since Halloween 2, which was 81? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 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 So they'd been working together for a while. Carpenter still did the score, but Howarth kind of provided some supervision, I guess. And he would help him like put it in the right places in the movie and things like that. I just thought that was interesting because I know that Carpenter, a lot of the times, he doesn't really write a score he improvises a score he watches his movie and he has a synthesizer and he plays along to it i heard that and that's what apparently yeah. what 95 percent of halloween is yeah. it's just him watching a cut and playing along yeah. to it i don't think anybody else does it seems like yeah. nobody else does that i think people trying to get inspired to write something that's been commissioned to them right. will have to do that yeah but the fact that he's i mean he's just so hands-on he just seems yeah. like he's got he's doing everything he, he well he yeah, is yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> writing directing scoring exactly. i think he's the only guy to ever do that i mean the music is the the x factor the music. there like robert rodriguez i think does a lot of his own music too and he he does yeah. a lot of that writing directing editing but okay. yeah they're those two directors robert rodriguez and uh john carpenter are both of the same type of director yeah i would go so far as to call john carpenter and auteur like one yeah. of those directors that it's a singular vision. You can tell a Carpenter movie for the most part mm -hmm. from just a few few seconds of the film. You know, interesting note though that Carpenter in this movie. If you notice the credits, I know there were a lot of them and they <laughs> went on for a while. But the writing credits went to a man named Martin Quatermass. Yeah, it was, I was. I remember that last name specifically because yeah. in my head I did the joke like, "Well, if that guy ever goes on a diet, it writes itself." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's actually that is John Carpenter using an mm. alias. He did write this movie. Uh, Quatermass was a character from this BBC serial, which, if you've ever heard of the Quatermass in the Pit, is the most famous. Oh. Quatermass in the Pit was a British <laughs> serial that dealt with a group of people and Bernard Quartermass being one of those people dealing with this ancient thing that they find in this pit and it kind of I've never seen it yeah. but it's pretty pretty famous as far as like huh. from the 50s I believe 50s or 60s okay. and it inspired John Carpenter a lot and so so did he use an alias just because of some sort of like you know beef that somebody might have had with him writing it himself and not using like some sort of like gilded screenwriter or something I'm not like sure that. why he did use an <laughs> alias but I did I read somewhere that the guy that played court Bernard Quartermass his name was uh, Nigel Neal okay. actually didn't like the that Carpenter did that. He was like, he didn't want to be associated with the movie, apparently. Oh, yeah. So, that's yeah. kind of sad. I'm an actor. And right. This is the, beneath me. Yeah. yeah. One of those guys. Okay. All but right. yeah, so, and it's interesting, like, looking at a lot of, when, in the commentary, again, for the movie, Carpenter talks about a lot of his, 
um, influences going into this movie. And one of his influences, we talked to our last episode in the Apocalypse trilogy, was The Thing. And, of course, Howard Hawks was the director of the the original The Thing from Another Planet, even yeah. though he wasn't credited. It was all this weird thing. But it, Howard Hawks did a lot of that. Hmm. And Howard Hawks did a lot of these movies with... Um, he would have these big scenes with a whole bunch of people just sitting around a table talking. And if you noticed in this movie, there were quite a few of those scenes where there's a bunch of people standing around a table talking. And he would come in and like go around these big, hmm. really wide shots, if you remember the shot from... The thing from another planet that um, you actually saw a little bit in the thing where a version of it where they have the guys surrounding where the UFO is down in the ice. Yeah. Like those wide shots. And there's a lot of wide shots like that similar to it hmm. in um, Prince of Darkness, if you notice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't make the correlation, yeah. honestly, between yeah. that and the thing. But yeah, I'm glad you pointed that so out. So there's definitely some stylistic continuity between them it's not just thematic it's also stylistic between the thing and this one of course people hold up in one place at one time being kind of bombarded with all this stuff which is like the thing and i did feel a slight callback i was trying to remember to watch this movie with Mm. my thing brain on because i was like how do these tie in and i realize it's a super loose tie-in but at one point, they did reference that a potential extraterrestrial entity that could be involved in this thing that yeah. they find in the basement. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, nice. There yeah. we go. Because I knew it wasn't going to be that. Yeah. Well, depending on your opinion of it. Right. But, like, I was like, oh, nice. Yeah. I wonder if that was intentional. See, because I don't even know how intentional this trilogy really is, honestly. I'm not sure either. I don't know if he intentionally meant to make these movies or if he just kind of made them and afterwards like, oh, hey, look at that. These are kind of similar. I'm not saying he had to for it to be, you know, a trilogy. You you could say, oh, yeah, that trilogy I did, I didn't know I was doing at the time. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's way better than like just going, well, we're going to make a trilogy because The Matrix made money. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This is way better and more justified as the name of trilogy than that. Right. Okay. Sorry. And you think about things like the 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 Cornetto trilogy of the Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, <laughs> which they're not really. There's nothing. I mean, there's callbacks, but yeah, they're and the actors. Yeah, <laughs> that's call, a, eh, there's callbacks within the movies too. The the jumping over the fences and things sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean that was intentionally made to do like we're going to do these three different things. But there's there's all sorts of people when you have a person who is so proficient. And he's made so many movies, you're going to find similarities between them if they have as much control as John Carpenter has over his movies. Because he's coming from different places a lot of times, but when he's making what he wants to make, and this was a lower budget movie uh, for him. um, Of course, Halloween was like super low budget. Yeah. But the thing, I'm not sure what the budget on the thing was, but he was... It's got to be one of his highest. Yeah. I would imagine. But the lower the budget seems to be the more control, the more direct control you have over that final product or the director anyway i mean the less money the studio's pumping in the less they're going to care yeah exactly that's just that's yeah. what it is like so. i was saying that with somebody today actually since that new as of this recording uh the halloween remake from 2018 is almost upon us yeah and i was talking about how much i hate the rob zombie ones mm-hmm. uh, and because like as much as i loved his first two movies he pretty much did those himself especially yeah. the second one devil's yeah. rejects he talks about how um, well, none of the suits really showed up. And when they did, they're like, looks yeah. great. And they, they went home. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it was low budget. But when he gets to Halloween, it's like, that's a big studio involved with it. Plus, you have the people that have the franchise rights to it. Yeah. They're going to have be involved in it. And then it just, that's probably one of the factors why it's not a good movie. Yeah. But they yeah. want to see all these famous actors in it, and so yeah. he called up all his friends and put yeah. them in the movie. And yeah, yeah, and then like so with you know, I like the buck stops here, and it, it, all of these movies, especially at this time, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Escape from New York, big budget comparatively. Right, those were his big budget movies. Yeah, and later on, they live Prince of Darkness. You could tell the budget is lower. Yeah, but it gives way to so much really cool creativity right. and improvising and and i i think they have a massive charm to them and that's absolutely. why they're that's why they're still so rewatchable yeah absolutely even all these years later what it's the movie's over 30 years old at this point and it's still 
eminently rewatchable because of the you can tell the care put into it and he didn't like all of the effects are practical like, we're still in a pre-cg yeah, world yeah that's the other thing about yeah. this and oh. some of them you can tell the camera's upside down or something like that but it still works because yeah. like you said it does have that charm to it and unless you're just the most cynical movie watcher in the world which I'm, there are a lot of those people out there yeah. the effects still work you know and especially the makeup effects the makeup mm. effects in this movie um the the creature effects and things like you said there's not a ton of them but towards the end of the movie there's more yeah. and the the main baddie in this one sort of the main baddie yeah. although the the real main baddie is kind of this more philosophical thing sure but the main baddie in the church in this movie yeah. super scary yeah that is creepy shit yeah and the harbinger outside yeah. and that's a whole we'll talk about that later yeah. but man you just <laughs> <laughs> so basically if i had to sell this movie to someone if you're a john carpenter fan watch it it's a kind of a combination of like demon possession meets assault on precinct 13 i got a lot of big vibes from that so it, if that doesn't sell you i don't know what will yeah, you, you nailed know? it you nailed yeah. it <laughs> I can't add to that. <laughs> you want to get into some spoiler talk? Yeah. I let's want to cut, talk about the plot. Let's cut to the crash. Okay. So, spoiler alert, go watch the movie. If you haven't watched it, we're going to talk about plot points. Um, this movie was the... I love the convergence of the science and the religion. When I think of Schrodinger's cat, like, this is the movie that exposed me to Schrodinger's cat. Because yeah, it's referenced. In yeah, the, it's yeah. referenced in the beginning of the movie. And when I was a kid, I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. I would later look it up figure it well i haven't figured it out because it's it doesn't make sense and that's yeah. like they say in the movie that's the point it doesn't make sense yeah. but i love that they use that even if you're watching this and you have no care or no knowledge of quantum physics anything like that it doesn't matter because in this one scene early in the movie with Catherine and walter who they're going to class one day and She's trying to explain Schrodinger's cat to Walter, and Walter doesn't get it. And she's like, "It well, it doesn't make sense. That's the point. It's this thing about superposition where the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. I'm not going to get into it yeah, yeah. because it doesn't matter. But I love that that scene kind of encapsulates a lot of the movie because there's a lot of what John Carpenter calls scientific mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. Like, he read an article about quantum mechanics and quantum physics, and was like, that'd be cool to make a movie out of. And so he adds a lot of that in there to give it this scientific feel to it. Yeah. But a lot of it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. And that's okay because when you look at the religious side of it, a lot of that doesn't make sense either. And it's two different beliefs. Yeah. And they kind of come together and it helps you, it helps to free your mind from trying to nitpick all of these things in the movie. Not that there are anything like nothing stands out to me as like that's a movie breaker like that doesn't make sense you yeah know? yeah and i know we live in a world where everybody loves to point out like plot holes and things like that and i'm sure if you poked hard enough you might could find some things that you don't get but i don't think that there's anything in this movie that doesn't necessarily make sense to a certain point well because it gets to the point where they're dealing so much and basically what would be if this happened to either of us it would be the fantastic yeah uh that you should be able to disassociate your everyday real life right. from what's going on in this film because yeah. it's happening to these people in this movie. And that's so easy for me to do, despite what any of my beliefs are. Yeah. And a good movie should be able to do that. And that's an actually super great point because one thing that I noticed on this watching is all of this stuff is happening. There's this canister with some kind of green something that's spinning around in it that's apparently been on Earth for over 7 million years, yes. according to carbon dating. So they're using all these scientific things to, like, prove, like, what they can. And at that point, it looks like the newest thing in the world, like, yeah. technology-wise. Yeah. They yeah. got these, like, home basic computers, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, we all know the yeah. ones we're talking about, you know. But, but yeah. all this stuff is happening. It starts to shoot out this, the green liquid is apparently sort of sentient. It starts to shoot out into people's mouths, and it starts to take them over. They're sort of demon-possessed zombies, sort of, in a way. And zombies more like voodoo zombies where they're being controlled and not dead coming back to life zombies, although some of them are dead. Yeah. Um, it's, so the they might use, all be dead. It's kind of hard to say. So Or dead inside, yeah, which right. leads into like the homeless people. So yeah. the army of homeless people or the small army of homeless yeah. people, because there seems to be like 20 total, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the commentary there? I mean, I know zombies have always been used for 
a very on the nose yeah uh usage of uh sure. you know like dawn of the dead yeah it's a consumerism com- it's consumerism so yeah. what is what is this is this religious zealot um, what is this I, it could be. I don't think that he meant for it to be. I think that he just meant for it to be Carpenter. I mean, just meant for it to be an obstacle and a reason to keep them in the church. Okay. But you look at early in the movie. So the thing you were kind of alluding to earlier where Brian Marsh, the dude with the mustache, he sees this thing about a supernova that was recently discovered and all of these particles from the supernova or whatever, the radiation energy, whatever it is, it's finally reaching Earth, and it's like this primordial stuff that hasn't been around for millions and billions of years. Whatever that's going on there, in that same scene, it cuts to the back of the television, and you see the ants like infesting the television, and you see the ants crawling over the the ground in the uh, school where they go to the college. Yeah, and you so see the propaganda of ants broadcast is what he's getting. <laughs> no, but what I mean, like the the worms on the window that kind of. You see it kind of ramp up. Yeah, Yeah. you see it ramp up as it goes because it okay, it's ants. Okay, they they get inside, they infest things. But then you see the worms on the window and they're defying gravity and they're going up the window and they're getting more and more. So you're seeing that these simple creatures, simple intelligent creatures are being controlled by whatever is emanating from either it's seems like it's emanating from the church. But it could, but it's it's so far widespread. Maybe it's part of the supernova. Maybe okay. they're tied together. Yeah, and I guess like on on the surface, uh, the homeless and destitute mm. or yep. are way less distracted than yep. anybody else that yeah. have homes and yeah. have jobs, and and so it's easier to you know break into that frequency. Exactly. That's what that's what I think it is. That's how it makes sense to me. Okay. And I think that's the kind of the, the logic line for that right. is that. One, I think that it may be sort of an unintentional commentary on religion, like that they're... It's there if you want to see it, Yeah, that they're, they don't have anything. They're completely focused on one thing, and it's whatever's controlling them at this point. But also, I do think it's a little bit of the people that go into the church to try to figure out what it is are college educated they're getting their masters in like these super complicated degrees they're philosophers they're they're people with super strong faith like the priests so they have their minds set on this specific frequency you know basically for lack of a better word but the people that are homeless they're kind of aimless and so whatever this thing is it's easier to latch onto them and be like all right i'm gonna put my whatever consciousness inside these people because it's super easy and you see the people in the church they have to be physically assaulted by whatever this liquid is in order to be controlled now i just thought of this and this could just be nothing but the whole thing about the sun and the moon lining up in this two things stuck out for me one is the fact that the professor at the beginning of it looked up and actually tried to position the lining of it so he must have known at least something to look for that because he's a man of science, yeah. not a man of faith, uh, a religious faith. And then also uh, tying into that as well, is it because is it like the uh, the congregation of the two things, the sun and the moon, is the church, I guess, the centerpiece of that? Is that where it's reflecting? Because I never quite got that out of it. I don't know that that necessarily I don't know that carpenter actually meant for everything to connect okay i think it was more just listening to him talk about it and maybe he's just not saying it because he doesn't he want people he wants people to kind of figure it out on their own yeah because i haven't seen the commentary yeah but i think that with as far as like the convergence of the sun and the moon i think it's just another way of saying that things are going weird in the world right now and whatever is going on could it be end times i don't know like it's open to interpretation I say congregation, I meant conjunction. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, okay, we'll yeah, just I keep that. Because I, I know that from the Dark Crystal. Right. It literally looked like the same thing at the beginning yeah. with, the, with the triangle yeah. and the thing lining up. Yeah, so, but yeah. it could be, like, it could be, because there's a lot of about uh, prophecy in a way in this movie, but it's more of like a scientific prophecy kind of thing. Um, but one note about the professor, he's a man of science, yes, but there is that one scene where Walter is talking to Brian in the hallway that exposition scene where they see the nun come through and she's talking to uh, the professor. Yeah. And he mentions, Brian mentions that the professor had debates with a 
priest. A um, British priest. Yeah, British you? priest. So, yeah. And so to me, that says that, yes, the professor is a man of science, but he's also a philosopher, and he's also open to certain things. So I think when he sees that convergence of the sun and the moon, yeah. I don't think he... I think he explains it away, but I think in the back of his mind, it's kind of that like primal thing where it's like, oh, that could mean something, but mm. I'm a, I'm a dude of science. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and go to class and talk about subatomic yeah. particles and things. All right. But yeah, kind of getting back to the homeless, I thought it was interesting. Do you know where Alice Cooper first met John Carpenter? Ooh, you know, and I should know that because I'm a big Alice nerd. Yeah. Love Carpenter, but Alice is my guy. It's an event. I'll say it's an event. All right. Um, I'm going to say the Halloween 2 premiere. That's a big shot in the dark. but uh, No. It okay. was WrestleMania 3. Really? Yeah. Wow. They both... Uh, Alice Cooper does an interview on the... Uh, comment or not on the commentary but on the blu-ray and i know why i know why now okay i'm gonna fill in the blanks even though i'm just gonna pretend to be smart about it now <laughs> right. uh because alice cooper appeared uh on stage at wrestlemania 3 yep. as a corner guy for jake the sink roberts mm -hmm. john carpenter obviously was there because he was already doing stuff with roddy piper for they live okay and i yeah, bet he was sense. there as his guest yeah that makes sense yeah because that was piper's last match before he became you know he retired to become an actor yeah, right they live was his first big project after that makes total sense <laughs> all right yeah. yeah so i thought you'd like that tying oh. into the wrestling house show yes tying it into rock strikes 10 as well yes you recognized it right off the bat later on in the movie one of the women in the church, she knocks her arm into something and it ends up bruising. And there's a symbol that starts to come out on her arm. And it is... It's the Blue Oyster Cult uh, logo, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. like an upside-down cross with a little hook on the bottom. With like sort a J-hook, yeah. Yeah, and Carpenter confirms that, yes, he stole that from the Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> but I would think Blue Oyster Cult took it from some sort yeah. of crazy yeah. book that they were yeah. into. You know, because that was the whole thing in the early 70s, Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. and. Yeah. Yeah. They were trying to find angles into the occult right. so they could have something to write about because yeah. they were going with that angle. Yeah. And they, they took the horror movie angle. Yeah. Is it to scare people is to entice them and, and, and stimulate them and, and therefore they'd be drawn to you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I just thought that was cool. Tying yeah. it into all of our shows. And yes. This is the perfect movie for yes. CNJ Radio. Yes. Yeah. But getting, <laughs> getting back to a, uh, another point that I kind of went way to the side. You were talking about how it was like these things that are weird kind of in everyday life how it makes you accept them and that was what i was going to get to was i thought that was a great point because so all of this stuff is happening all this weird metaphysical stuff is happening in this church over the period of like two days or whatever it's yeah. a little a little on there because a full day passes in the middle of this movie and one of the things that i found really interesting watching this there's a shot when in, the sun comes up and they're still, they're trapped in this room because they have been chased by the possessed, their possessed friends, basically. And they're, they're all kind of trapped in separate rooms. And there's a shot from outside the church. And it's a normal day in Los Angeles. And a truck drives by. And these people are, like, the devil is coming out of this church. But there's people who are just going about their day. And it's, I thought that was so cool because it's, you look at movies like, I don't know, like Assault on Precinct 13 has to happen all at night because people would be like, oh, bad stuff is happening over there. But yeah. in this one, people are looking at it and they don't even realize that anything weird is going on. I just thought that was super cool. Yeah. I mean, jeez. I, I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah. I mean, I knew that they were the only ones that knew what was going on. Yeah. And the word was literally being kept inside the place. Yeah. And that's the idea of why they're being surrounded by this small yeah. army of homeless. Absolutely. Is it? The word can't get out. It's almost like it will spread if someone actually is successful in escaping right. the place. Yeah. Which is almost like this weird positive thing that anybody who does escape right. ends up dying yeah. or getting possessed or both. Right. And that's kind of, it adds a layer on top of what Donald Pleasance was talking about in the beginning. When he's talking to the professor at the beginning, the professor is like, why didn't you tell people about this? Like, why didn't you say that you have this thing down here why is the church like this but the church kept it secret and that's kind of that's a, a kind of a parallel to what the homeless people are doing is yeah. they're keeping it a secret until you can't keep it a secret any longer yeah and, and that was what got him in trouble in the first place yeah and just to really do i'm going to try to keep this part as general as possible when yeah. i say this but obviously 
all the things that have been going on as far as the negative sides of what the Catholic Church has been dealing with publicly now, now publicly for the last 20 years or so. And this predates that, really. I mean, obviously, people in the know knew what was going on. Yeah. Because some of these accusations are so old now. Sure. So it's almost like that adds a whole other layer to like, do you guys have to keep secrets all the time? <laughs> like, that's right. all I got out of it. Yeah. And the professor really nails it there. And like, it just, it's, that's definitely unintentional humor for yeah. someone like me, but I, I, I kind of dug it. And it's like, you know, not everything you guys do have to, has to be a damn secret. Because right. yeah. something really, really bad, like the end of the world might be happening. Right. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> And that's I hope that wasn't too shock radio for it. Okay. <laughs> no. no, and it's interesting because there we said that there weren't really debates about science and religion this and there aren't really, but there are little things like that that you can extrapolate from it. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines that I know got a chuckle out of you when I, when we were watching this was Donald Pleasance basically gets angry at when he uh, when Victor Wong says that and he's like you have this faith in common sense that provide that prevents you from looking at this like it's such a complicated sentence but it makes so much sense within the context of this movie because i like how it's it's that doesn't seem like there's any acting going on yeah i just saw a priest and a professor get into it just a little bit and when the guy gets so flustered they don't really say the sentence they want right it's like one of those things like 10 minutes later when you're in the car like i should have said it like this yeah he He's such a great actor. He was so in that moment that yeah. that might not have even been in the script for all right. I know. Yeah. But it, it worked so well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. And I think there's a lot, there's not a, a ton of dialogue in this movie really. No. And especially in, in the beginning, but even as it goes along, but there are some really good lines that I didn't even realize were like connected to everything until watching this again and like making notes and things. You know, Chris, you could almost pass for Asian. <laughs> okay sorry i'll give you the same reaction that, that lisa gave walter in that situation <laughs> which is to walk out of the room yeah the guy from freaking uh big trouble in little china yeah <laughs> that's all i see him he as. was he was probably my favorite character in the movie just because he was he was the only because there's in this movie there's so many people that are that fill different stereotypes to a certain degree sure and walter is the only like actual human in this movie because he's like what are you talking about this is stupid we need to leave, we need to tell someone, and he's making jokes and, and things like that, but yeah. he's... Other people have varying degrees of that. The, uh, the the one guy that gets eaten by bugs is, like, angry about it. Um, yeah. But, I th- you know, if that guy had been in a slasher and not a John Carpenter movie, yeah. he wouldn't have made it past the second act. Yeah, right. He'd have been lucky to make it past the yeah. second act. <laughs> in, I, I think it's interesting looking at the characters and how they deal with what they see, because... N- the professor doesn't tell anyone what they're going to do before they get there. <laughs> and he takes them all down there together to most of them down there together to see what they're going to be dealing with. You've got people that are willing. And, and I guess the professor kind of did that whole, this really is going to reflect on your great average. Yeah. <laughs> so he got them in there based on that. Everybody else that showed up literally is based on some sort of faith that something yeah. is going to be in it for them. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it doesn't seem like yeah. it really is. There's a lot of faith in the movie. Yeah, for the non-students, I'm like, how did you get talked into this one? Like, you definitely owed somebody a favor, (laughs) and then they cashed in that favor on, like, six people on the same day. Yeah. I have no idea how they got those engineers (laughs) out there and those computer nerds. Yeah. And the fake Robert Carradine. (laughs) Right, yeah. He always reminded me of him. Yeah, he's... he's, Yeah. But it was a kind of a smaller part, so maybe that's why Robert Carradine passed on it, I guess. Yeah, we can only hope. But he did get the cool scene with the the bicycle through the stomach. Yes. Which I, you know, going back to Alice talk a little bit, Alice is the guy, I I, I uh, told my wife I was on my way to go watch a movie where Alice Cooper stabs somebody with a tricycle. Yeah. <laughs> and he did that in his act two years before this movie came yeah. out. So That's I what went... got John Carpenter to want him in, to be in the movie. Because oh. he said, if you do that, can you do that in my movie? He's like, sure. <laughs> nice. That's how it went. Like, he skewers a cameraman, quote unquote cameraman, on mm-hmm. stage, like, through his body somehow yeah. and it looks like a mic stand or something yeah. but it's it's thin and sharp and it looks really good and That's the cool. guy gets stabbed and he literally hangs there just like the guy in the movie oh really so That's it's cool. the same bit 
So I guess he probably got the stuntman credit for that as far as, or stunt coordination. All right. Because you he, hope so. they always learn how to do it like they would do it in the movies. Yeah. That's, that's why Alice's stage show is the best. But mm. yeah, I, I immediately thought that, oh yeah, that's from the Nightmare Returns DVD. There's your reference. Yeah. Go watch that. <laughs> it's, it's even more shocking because you see Alice doing the slow crawl with the tricycle. Right. When the guy gets stabbed with the thing on stage, it's like, yeah. it's real sudden. That's cool. It's shocking as hell. It's nice. probably, I think, the most shocking thing he ever did on stage. Anyway. Well, right. But great scene, and they're playing Prince of Darkness by Alice Cooper yeah. during the scene. Not so faintly, but faintly enough in the background. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what it is, you can obviously tell what it is. Because yeah. it's it's playing through uh, fake Robert Carradine's headphones as he's walking out. I was wondering where that was coming yeah. from. I didn't even yeah. notice that he had a walk. Yeah, because he had his, his headphones on, kind of around his neck. So you, that's why it's so low and kind of tiny, because okay. it's coming from there. Um, but yeah, getting back to some of the other characters, I would say, I think Walter was my favorite. I think that Brian Marsh, is, I don't like him. I don't like that really like if I have one complaint it's that this the the mustache dude is sort of the default lead character yeah because he's one of the first people you see and he's the last well he's not the last but he's one of the last people you see yeah um because he's super creepy and he starts stalking this woman at the beginning of the movie and she kind of has that boyfriend guy that yeah that winds up in the building in the church like, is it the, the same, same guy I don't think that's the same is guy it a, they look like the same they guy that's bad casting guy. I'm sorry <laughs> okay so yeah yeah she's like dating this guy looks like Brian Robbins from <laughs> Head of the Class yeah. uh, terrible film director too um, <laughs> but uh, yeah and then there's another guy that looks like just like him later on in the church and that guy is the most useless character <laughs> right. of recent memory for me yeah like that guy should have been off in the first 20 minutes yeah. Maybe before the church got locked down. Well, they need they needed someone to to take the hit right at that point in the movie. Uh, I guess. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I didn't mean to go off base, but yeah, mm. he's not very likable. This guy. No. That's the one fault. Like Carpenter always has interesting leads. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying do the same thing every time. Yeah. But we're used to like, like even. To an extent, like I said earlier, Pleasance is kind of an alpha yeah. in Halloween in the sense that like his way or the highway. Right. Kurt Russell, need yeah, I yeah. say more? <laughs> uh, Piper, they live. Yeah. Bam, done. Yeah. Keith yeah. David, same thing. Boom, done. Yeah. Yeah, this guy's a little wormy, and uh, I mean, like, yeah, he's smartish, <laughs> you know. But yeah. but he, he's just one of those guys. He takes a little bit of the alpha lead, yeah. but he can he never commits one way or the other he's yeah. very wishy-washy about the actions yeah. that he's taking yeah and it always affects him pretty much negatively throughout the entire film yeah especially ne- characteristically like negative because yeah. i didn't like him from the start he's like weird and not forcing himself on her but at the same time he's like super clingy like right away yeah and, and I don't, I, the, there was that it was kind of a romance subplot in a way to connect those two characters and i didn't i didn't buy it no, especially so. in this day and age there are movies that you go back and watch especially yeah. in this day and age yeah. where it's just like man that really hurts it now yeah. it, like that's the only part of that this kind yeah. of movie that's not timeless now yeah because of bullshit like that right i mean even the the romantic subplot in Halloween 3, which I'm getting into the guy, half a man, <laughs> yeah. uh, the other mustache guy, right. in the sort of the Carpenter universe, sort of, but yeah. not really. Yeah, sort of. But that guy's more charming, and he's like a guy that's cheating on his wife with like <laughs> right. this other girl, and he's he's kind of a shitty dude. Yeah. That guy's more likable than, than this guy in Prince of Darkness. Well, yeah, that's true, yeah. I think so, at least. <laughs> I think that's the... That's it's really kind of my only complaint about this movie. Yeah. Like the other characters, he's the star. Yeah, he's the star. Which is <laughs> no, no, Donald Pleasance is the star. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's kind of the star of anything. He's yeah, in. then the Wong, then that guy. Yeah, and I think the the romantic subplot was is very minor, and it's not even touched on until really just to give you the final shots of the movie. Yeah, and like you kind of it goes so long without even going there again. Yeah. That by the time they start talking again, when it's kind of like, well, we're all yeah. doomed. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah, you guys slept with each other. Right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. But, yeah, you went for uh, the final, uh, what do we call it, the uh, the carry scare at this point? What are we calling this? Like, Yeah, it was kind of, yeah. <laughs> It was the... I skipped way ahead, I'm sorry. Right, no, it's fine. It was the the dream within a dream. The only other character I want to talk about before we get to that, because I do want to talk about some of that, is my... I wouldn't say he's my favorite character, but Connor, the the, 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 tall guy that's singing Amazing Grace. Oh, yeah. He's always made me so sad. Like, even when I was a kid watching this movie, like... 
I felt so bad for this guy. Yeah. Because, and I think that his reaction to what they see in the basement, the, what I get out of it is they are not sure what it is, but they call it like the son of the anti-god or the son of Satan or whatever it is. It's the, the stuff that's coming out. Okay. Get to that in a second. But when he sees it, it's pretty clear that he's a very religious man because yeah. he is the most freaked out by what he's seeing down yeah. there. And the fact that he sings Amazing Grace later on kind of confirms that. Yeah. And he's the only one that, like, he kills himself. Like, yeah. when he feels himself getting possessed, I guess, or maybe that's kind of the remnant of his his faith-based brain yeah. or whatever. What's left of it, yeah. yeah. He, he, mur- he cuts his own neck in front of everyone else. Yeah. And then even when he comes back to life, like, just him standing there for an entire day. Like, he stands, because that's the kind of time span from whenever they go into the hiding to when they come out is an entire like from sun up to sundown yeah. he's staring at himself in the mirror and he's sweating profusely yeah, and that, he's crying it's just it's a it's yeah. a strong imagery he's like I, I don't know that just always stuck with me just yeah. the he's so so sad and he's so scary because yeah. he's so sad and he because a, a man like that is super dangerous, I think, yeah. especially like in that kind of situation. Yeah, when when he introduces himself at the beginning of the, yeah. the church stuff, and I was like, "Damn, that boy!" I mean, that yeah. voice. Yeah, he's got a great voice. I mean, it projects way over everybody else. They must yeah. have had to turn him down in the right. mix. But where where else has this guy been? What yeah. else is he in? I'm gonna I'm have to look him up. Yeah, afterwards. I have to look him up. I'm not really sure because he's definitely. You know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say this because he's African American, but very Tony Todd esque. Yeah, in a yeah, certain sense Tony Todd's a big dude with yeah, a booming voice that's, yeah. that's that's where it is they don't look anything alike yeah. in the face but the same kind of presence same kind of voice like, yeah. he probably hates Tony Todd I bet like, cause this <laughs> he could, got all his roles yeah sure. he could have been he could have <laughs> been, been Candyman yeah totally I could have been Candyman <laughs> yeah. at least do direct to video sequels right. oh Tony probably do right. those too I'm sorry I love you Tony but yeah yeah, yeah I can see that and I don't know it's just what a presence so, yeah so yeah. there and I like the way that the possessed for it's hard to say like what exactly they are because it's like i said it doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah in the traditional it's, sense it's a weird offbeat way to bring the devil onto earth yeah these are his minions obviously yeah. probably even if he has offspring yeah they are they seem to be acting like it especially the main woman yeah that's going to bring him into this right. world like and physically even, pull him in yeah, physically yeah. pull him in and that she surprised me too by the way we're talking yeah. about this other guy but she surprised me in the sense that like she she was all right yeah. when they first got there but she was very vanilla and i didn't yeah. really pay any mind once she once she got going with the possession everything really started to take notice there yeah. like you already look scary enough but like she had a lot of projection in her eyes yeah that really makes it yeah and her and, uh, smile, like the first time oh, she smiles when she gets up from the bed. Yeah, she. It's almost like she went out of her way to be unextraordinary yeah. at the beginning of this movie right. in order to like when she comes out, it's on. Yeah, like, I mean, so maybe that was an accident, but well done. Yeah, and it, it all works because I know just listening to the commentary, Carpenter says that his entire purpose for this movie was to instill a sense of dread. It wasn't necessarily about the story as much as it was of just making you feel uncomfortable the entire time. And he does that with the music and the way it's edited and like the, the pacing of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of quick in the beginning and then it's kind of slow. It slows it down and it takes its time. There's mm-hmm. a one, that one wide shot where the, the, the guy that gets eaten by the Beatles or turns into Beatles or whatever, yeah. when he gets stabbed by the, the homeless woman, yeah. like there's that wide shot that I mentioned we were watching it, that it takes a while like there's this wide shot it's really yeah. really wide and you see her running across the screen and she finally stabs him so he does <laughs> things like that in this movie to really draw it all out and i just think that that he is the master of dread and things like that you've yeah. seen it in his other movies mm-hmm. halloween being the perfect example assault of that assault yeah. yeah the thing all of them like you said yeah <laughs> But yeah, so getting to the end with Brian Marsh. Okay, so at the end of the movie, they we figure out that when they're talking about this, so there's... There's a shared dream that everybody has. Yeah, yeah. Which ties into, I guess, being called the Brotherhood of Sleep. Yeah. Because the answer is in your sleep. Exactly. Literally. Like maybe It's that... literally in your sleep. And there's, there's a lot of this super right on the nose kind of stuff in this movie, and this is one of them. 
Um, I did find it interesting, like, watching this time that towards the beginning of the movie, after we see that Brian and Christine have slept with each other, she says, we didn't sleep much last night, and he says, who needs sleep? I think that that is very purposeful, like, who needs sleep? Like, if the Brotherhood of Sleep didn't sleep on this then we wouldn't be in this situation, you know? So wow. that's some clever writing, I yeah. believe. And it's it's something that it's... He's very... Carpenter's very good about putting stuff like yeah. that in. Now, I got one for you. Here's mm-hmm. a what if. What if, instead of after they slept with each other the first time, and he does that thing where he's almost about to start being really clingy now, yeah, right. that he's going to be like, I love you. Yeah. What if the roles were reversed in that sense? And then she actually said... I've got something I want to tell you. Mm. Would that have been too cheesy for the ending? Do you think it works better with it being the way they left it in the sense of like, she really had something to tell him, but she didn't even realize it. Like, because oh, she's like the that messenger. Scene? Okay. She's the messenger. That may have been, I don't know. It could have worked. <laughs> I think it could have worked. I mean, yeah. it just immediately came into my brain. Oh been, yeah. It would have been a cool callback. I think it would have, it would have been a different feel. And I think that okay. the feel that, carpenter was going for at the end was just like bam 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 and then the only reason i think it could have worked is that they talk about those things and they theorize those things throughout the film so she she subconsciously did have something she could have been getting those something in her head that she didn't realize yeah Yeah. because it's already emotion by this point right just a thought yeah because to me yeah i think that the supernova had something to do with it because it's been going on for a while and Mm. it's obviously been going on for a while this thing didn't just wake up this weekend another callback to the thing something that's in space it was kind of like like to me it was a callback not just to that but also to like night of the living dead because they talk about the comet in the first one and you don't know if that's connected or not but it's in there and just that's just like the supernova well, too. There better be one in, in the mouth of madness, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something alien. I don't yeah. remember mouth of madness very. I've much. never seen yeah. it. Oh, this really? will be my first time. Uh, it's so. maybe my second. Mm. But um, so the woman that we talked about with the the gross face and the gross smile, she yes. reaches in to pull the anti god. Technically, because yeah. Carpenter was talking about it's not Satan necessarily; it's the anti god. But it looks like it could be Tim Curry. Yeah, because it's a red hand with like black. <laughs> Um, uh, claws. Yeah, but there's so there's anti there's matter there's antimatter. That's a real thing. Yeah, and or real theorized thing. And so <laughs> they talk about this mirror world where all this anti stuff exists, and literally they pull things out through a mirror. So it's and they that's come to treading that... very much on the nose right there. Well, Lewis Carroll too. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it it works. It's cool. Um, so yes, she does, she, there's this full length mirror where the possessed, she's possessed by the son of the anti-god and she's pulling her father. She calls him father. Yes. Out through this. It's mercury actually what they're using for the, ah. the mirrors and that, which is super dangerous. More space. But, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding. Catherine, the redhead. So, no one dies. They're going to get some cancer right. down the road. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine sees that this is happening. She makes a split second decision. She rams into the woman. She sends the son of the anti-god and the anti-god back through the mirror. Donald Pleasant spells the axe, breaks the mirror, movie's over. And she could have just drop-kicked her and yeah. we would have had a different ending. <laughs> right, yeah. But, so the ending is where we see this dream that's been going on for, after everyone, the rest of the people, the survivors get out, we see another version of this dream that everyone's been seeing. The Brotherhood of Sleep. Yeah, we see the full-length version. Yeah, um, and it's a little different because we have seen, up to a certain point, I really thought it was clever how uh, Donald Pleasance, the priest, talks about how when you go to sleep in the vicinity of this church, you have this dream. And each time you go to sleep, you see a little more of it throughout the movie, starting about halfway through the movie when the first person we see to fall asleep or one of the first. Yeah. We see a little snippet of it. The second time, we see a little bit more of it we get that we are being transmitting from the year 19 cuts off. The next one we do 19.9 cuts yeah, off. 199. Yeah, 199. Click. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, we get kind of the full thing. We see this dark figure coming out of the front of the church that they're in. But at the very end, the dark figure has been replaced with Catherine, the redhead. She's coming out of the church. Yeah. Apparently something has happened. It's the year 1999. She's coming out. Um, we see Brian wake up in bed. He's like, oh, wow, it was a dream. Looks over. There is Catherine in the 
burned kind of yeah. melty face burned lesion face yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah he screams and he wakes up again and yeah. he's is in the real world and you see him reach out and he's going in to touch a mirror and cuts before he touches it which yeah. i love that so it leaves that aura of it's still there we know it's still there it could still come out at a certain point and if they the never dream... they never established how close he lived to the church too <laughs> and i think they kind of say that that i'm was a little unclear the the statement was a little unclear but earlier in the movie the priest says like once you start having this dream you keep having this dream okay. so maybe it carries out and that could just mean that the it's spreading like whatever's going on mm. spreading even further yeah. um it could also be seen as maybe that's just a dream maybe he's didn't actually have the they explain it as like Oh, you think the whole thing was a dream? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I just, was like, what? No, no. Just that final <laughs> okay. that final version of the dream with Catherine okay. coming out of the church. That could possibly be a dream because he's not at the church. Dream, not a transmission. Yeah. And they're not, yeah. those weren't dreams, they were transmissions. Right. Yeah. So it's it's open to interpretation, I think. Okay. And I kind of equated it to uh, Inception, the end of Inception, where yeah. you see, are we still in dream or not? And the top spins and it wobbles, but you don't see it fall. Yeah. That's to me, is kind of like... It's a similar way to end a movie, which I really... I like the ambiguous kind of ending to it. Well, at least they're not ambiguous about whether Donald Pleasance was a replicant or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do like the the transmission dream. That was one of the things that always stuck that with me as a kid. Really cool. Super interesting. And I love I love distorted vocal anything. Yeah. So, like, the, the Beatle guy, top notch for me. Oh, yeah. Like, that is some creepy the, shit the, the, the underwater yeah. distorted vocal thing yeah. and they use it in the video and to a different kind of degree yeah they use but, it on the the homeless woman who grabs a, the priest hand absolutely a little bit lower yeah so but and, yeah i i love the um because they explain it as like it's tachyons that are faster than light they can go back through time and I love the science mumbo jumbo that they put in there because that inspired me to be kind of this like amateur science nerd in my yeah. life, really, yeah. because I thought all that was really cool. I was imagining like a, a time when we could do something like that, and it's it's all it's it's psychology and it's philosophy and it's religion and it's science and it's all mashed to this pot of like horror. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I like how like the inclusion of Alice Cooper. On the surface, mm. maybe stunt casting, right. but this is also kind of what Alice is. Loves horror movies, but he's also a man of faith. Yeah. Yeah, so see it for sure. Love Carpenter. Love Pleasance. You need to love all those things. Love Alice. I've, I've said enough about Alice. <laughs> yes. Okay. But yeah, it's my favorite viewing so far. Awesome. And, uh, you know, if I have to be a company shill for somebody, get the Scream Factory version they always do great yeah, work cool. for fans of this genre. It's aces. You let so. me borrow it before this, and there's there's some cool stuff on there. It's feature yeah. com- feature link commentary, and there's some neat interviews. Alice does an interview. Uh, John Carpenter does one, and yeah. the, randomly the the guy that gets turned into Beatles does a oh, does a Q and A kind nice. of thing on there too. So I like that. Yeah. See, that's the detail that I want. Yeah. So. All right. Oh, there's also. Just talking about like whether it was all a dream on the the Blu-ray, there is a they show the opening sequence, the opening credit sequence that was aired on television, yeah, like the TV version. Oh, they add stuff, and it's not added. There's a lot cut actually, but they re-edit it to make it's way shorter for one. It's like hmm. three or four minutes. Huh. Oh, for commercial sake, I guess. Oh, but they also <laughs> edit it in such a way to where you could think that all of the movie is a dream it's brian's dream because there's this dumb thing that they do in the tv version where you see a few things you don't open on the priest being dead at the beginning you open on it's either the professor or his class or something and they set up the science side of it and then you, they set up the the romance with brian and, and Catherine, huh. and then there's a scene where Brian gets in bed, or he's sleeping, and they do the, the wave dissolve, you know? No. And that dissolves into the priest being dead. Oh. So it's clearly as if he is dreaming about this priest being dead, and that's where the, the special feature cuts off. But I guess that's where the movie just continues. Oh. So I just thought that was super terrible, but it's worth watching on the, yeah. the, the, the Blu-ray, because it's so dumb. Huh. Just, oh, yeah. it's, it's just interesting how, like, 
something like that. It when you put that up against what John Carpenter did, and yeah. how it just completely changed the entire yeah. tone of the movie. Did he say anything about that? Like in the commentary, uh, there was no commentary that? for that part. No. Yeah. Well, no, I just meant like in the. Oh, in general, no, didn't, I didn't hear. No, man, maybe he just maybe like he didn't maybe, see it or maybe he doesn't even know about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's Prince of Darkness. Yes. So next in the mouth of madness. Yes. Looking forward to it just because I've never seen it. I yeah. hope it's good. I hope. I hope. It, <laughs> I can't I, imagine it not being good. Yeah, but who knows, man? People. But, yeah, you know? I know I've seen it and I don't remember it as well as I've seen these others. So yeah, yeah we'll see. I will try to look for anything that makes it connected to these other two movies, and let's hope it's successful. I'm hoping for at least a Donald Pleasance cameo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would hope, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah, I know. But that yeah. would have been like the last year he was. On this mortal coil, I guess. Yeah. Maybe about a year to it, before, yeah. yeah. Alright. But look forward to that on the next episode of The Last Theater on the left. Go to cnjradio.com for all of the podcasts hosted by CNJ Radio. All the ones we plugged all earlier. All the ones we already <laughs> mentioned, so go back and listen again if you missed it. Go to our Facebook and Twitter and do all that stuff, and we'll see you in the mouth of madness. Indeed.